Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTV buddies. I've got Atlanta-based comedian Damon Sumner on the show today. Damon has an album coming out this week called I Know Who I Am. And you can pre-order that or order it right from the link in the show notes that is the pre-order link and labeled as such. And I can tell you, I recommend this album highly. I listened to it twice and just laughed and laughed and laughed. There are more laughs in this album than I can even count. It is fantastic. Damon has definitely honed his craft very well in the 12 years he's been doing stand-up. We talked a lot about what it takes to go from that full-time job plus doing comedy part-time to leaning in and doing comedy full-time and the pluses and minuses of both of those and also talked about his time doing comedy in china and how that gets you better what you're doing because you're playing to lots of different folks this is just a great episode learned a lot if you like it pass it on damon sumner it's a good one it's damon sumner damon how are you Scott, I'm great. How you doing? Great. I appreciate you being patient through my technical difficulties. No worries here. We've all been there before in the world of uh, Zoom and online media. Yeah. Hey, I got to say that I listened to your album through a couple times, and I listened to it when I was demolishing my kitchen. We were in a new townhouse here, and I was taking the backsplash off the kitchen, and the backsplash has been there since 87, and it doesn't want to come down. And I was, the album was so funny that it has big laughs, and it has the giggles in between, and then more big laughs. And it is so rapid fire that I had to listen to it twice to make sure I caught everything. It was really good. I like the way that you, okay, you bring the audience in by referring to certain audience members, but you do it in a way that doesn't make them think that they're part of the act. And you're allowed to keep going with your act. So that that was masterful in my mind because a lot of folks, me included, if I bring an audience member in, they think they're part of the act and they think they're going to talk to me for a half hour. And you did a really good job of that. But I got to say, you you really pulled me in. I love the dad stuff. I just love the fact that you're in your mid-30s now and you're starting to feel the change between being a young man and and an old man and you're right in between and it just really centered around that and i i just loved it man sky you over here gonna make me blush <laughs> I, I appreciate that man that means a lot i thoroughly enjoyed the whole process uh, and it was just a great it was a great night and crowd was great and there there is a balance as a comic knows very well of if you decide to go into the crowd uh, i'll speak for myself because uh-huh. i'm not a 
crowd work guy. That's yeah. not my lane. If I go yeah. into the crowd, I'm very intentional. I don't want this to turn into a town hall. That's not my goal. Yeah. So I want to get in and get out. But I appreciate that, man. It was. I'm really excited for it to come out. Yeah, I have to think that the 46-year-old guy must have really appreciated the multiple callbacks to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he definitely uh, didn't feel that way. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the journey up until doing that album. Sure. How long have you been doing stand-up? It'll be 12 years this October. 12 years. And you're are you Atlanta-based? I am. Yeah, I live here in Atlanta. Okay. Atlanta's home now. I'm originally from Louisiana, but Atlanta's home. Okay. So I'm in Huntsville, so I'm not too far away oh, yeah. from you. I love Huntsville. I, what I don't understand is the fact that you're on Eastern time and I'm on Central time and you're further south than I am. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the invite because we do a uh, calendar invite for this. And I'm like... Is it really Eastern time in Atlanta? I didn't even know. And I had to look it yeah. up to see what time it was for you. <laughs> yeah. Every time I do a show out there called uh, Epic, um, okay. I, I always forget on the way back. It always hurts on the way back uh -huh. of uh, losing that hour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm new to Huntsville. And I'm just getting to know okay. some of the comedians. And I think, is it Scott Eason that puts Scott on? Scott yeah. my man. Yeah. I've, I, I haven't really talked to him a whole bunch because I haven't mm -hmm. been doing as much comedy as i want to but i've talked to him a couple times i got to see him open for i can't remember who it was for a guy at stand up live and that was it's nice and it's nice that they've got a good local scene here and you can do an open mic just about i think four nights a week here so four or five so that's good yeah definitely it's a great it's a great scene as that's rising up at alabama in general i know there's some great comics who are working hard in mobile and birmingham uh -huh. so it's definitely on the rise in the next few years yeah so let's talk about this 12 years that you you've been mm -hmm. doing stand-up comedy what brought you to doing stand-up uh, randomness, if I'm honest with you, uh -huh. I, I did not grow up like a lot of times you hear people talk about their origin story of becoming yeah. a stand up. They'll talk about my mom used to have on the Carlin records or my dad used to listen to Pryor. That was not my lane, Scott. I, uh -huh. I came from a very sheltered home. And so we weren't going to have any of that Kings of Comedy cussing up and in my house. Yeah. And so stand up really was not in my world at all. I wasn't thinking of it. Fast forward very quickly to I'm married. I graduated college. I moved to Atlanta. I'm 21 at the time. And what's crazy in 2010, which is when it starts, was one of the craziest years of my life. In 2010, I became a father. I started my teaching career, which was really going to be the foundation of stability as I pursued comedy. And then I started stand-up. And probably in the summer of 2010, a friend, I can't even say a friend because I don't know who they are, but I just know this is how it happened. <laughs> I'm cutting up. We're having fun, hanging out with some people, and we're just joking. And this guy says, man, you're really fun. Have you ever thought about doing stand-up? Scott, to this day, I had never thought about doing stand-up. I didn't think it was a career. I didn't think it was an option. My goal, I had graduated with a degree in journalism, that I was going to be on Sports Center with Dan Patrick and yeah. Stuart Scott. <laughs> and I had another great friend, uh, one of my best friends to this day, David Perdue. Uh, he said the same thing to him. We both were like, no, I haven't. I love stand-up like comedians in general. And we signed up for an open mic, Scott, in October 27th of 2010. And honestly, to the day, this, it hasn't changed my life. It's changed my life ever since. But uh -huh. what's crazy is like, like when you reflect back on if you ever done this, where you're like, man, if that would have went differently, would I be, still be here? And honestly, I don't know. I'd probably be a principal somewhere with 25 keys right now. Yeah. <laughs> had he not asked me that question. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's funny. My, my story is different, but similar in the fact that uh, where I work, and I didn't start until I was 52, and, but a guy at work was planning our office Christmas party, and mm. they had a magician for three years in a row. And me, who had been working there for, I think at the time, 12 years, I had never gone to it because I just wasn't, I'm not a go-to-office party type guy. But the guy who was planning it at the time said, we want you to do stand-up comedy for the Christmas party. Mm. And I immediately just said, no, because <laughs> I, I love stand-up comedy. And, I, sure. and my parents did, the funny thing is my parents had uh, eight tracks, comedy eight tracks, and yeah. they had a, a lot of Flip Wilson. It was just oh, like, it, it was, I think it was four or five Flip Wilson one. And he's got this belly button joke that I would always uh, rewind and listen to it over and over again. And so he was like one of, one of my first. And then mm -hmm. Tom Dreesen, Steve Martin, all those guys, came yep. up and the letterman and all that so i really love stand-up but i never thought about doing it myself and i got bit like you did right after i did that i was like yeah i'm gonna do this now and <laughs> i've come in and out of it it's I, I still feel like a hobbyist but i really enjoy doing it and there's no better feeling than just you the one thing you don't think about when you're on stage is making money you think about mm -hmm. the money before and after uh, but you don't think about it when you're on stage. You just want to get the last and have people feel good. That's it. That's really it. If you came in to stand up hoping to sell out stadiums and make money, you're already lost. You yeah. already got the wrong approach and mindset. Uh, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those laughs, you could earn nothing, as you do most yeah. of the time yeah. on your way up. But if you have a great set and things go well and you connect with maybe an audience member after the show, that drive home is all worth it. Now, your comedy is super relatable from what I heard on the album. Is that pretty much how it started for you? Did you, was it personal stories or were, did you have to go through what a lot of comedians do and do the puns and dick jokes and all that kind of stuff before you got to it? <laughs> no, I, I wasn't really, uh, that really wasn't my lane from the jump. That kind of just was because one of the big things for myself, like when I came into it, like, again, I had very little exposure to it. I didn't really have Comedy Central at home growing up, no cable, really. So I started really getting sprinkles of stand up in college here and there in the dorm, whatever. But again, that's still not a lot. Uh -huh. I'm not sitting down watching our specials in 2006. Yeah. Uh, and so I just tried to be that journey of trying to be who you are off stage, on stage, that balancing act. And so I talked about what I knew. I talked about myself, my family, my upbringing. And so I think that's something that I do take pride in is this relatability um, which we can get into it later if we want to. When I went overseas, that was one of the huge elements of my act that I was like, oh, this is a strength for me. And just over time, I've just continued to rely on that and sharpen that skill. Do you feel like not being a super fan and not having been exposed to so much actually gave you a leg up in the finding your, we talk about your comedy voice. Do you think that gave you a leg up in finding it because you didn't know any better? I'll definitely say it It came from a different perspective. I don't yeah. know about leg up, but I definitely came with this clean palette yeah, where yeah. I wasn't really, I really wasn't coming in trying to, I had, don't get me wrong, I had some of my favorites 
Um, but like I came in, but like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go up there and figure it out on my own. There wasn't so much so. Of like, I've seen every late night sit from 97 to 2008 yeah. oh, and so on and so forth. I've watched every HBO half hour um, and this is the way it should be. It was like, I'm just going to throw stuff at the wall and uh-huh. hopefully they laugh. Many times they did it for the first year and, and we're going to keep going. So that's how I started off. Uh-huh. How did it feel knowing that you're a parent and you need to provide for your kid at, at the same time that you're thinking about doing this thing that may or may not actually work out for you? Yeah, yeah. So the absolute biggest cornerstone of my journey has really just been my wife's support. Uh-huh. Wife and I, we both are dream chasers, both push each other. So her support to see the passion that I quickly fell in love with uh, alongside, again, that teaching career that bubbled in 2010 as well. It's this great uh, just mixture where I was like, all right, got daytimes. I don't really have any weekends, not really any evenings as a teacher per se. Um, so I'll be able to get off work, get home four, four thirty, hang out and then go into the night. Uh, and so that was really a huge relief. And Finding that balance, that was a huge piece because the being committed in this, if you're really trying to grow in your craft and be great at this, um, then the time commitment, um, you don't really know it on the front end. Like you're like, yeah, I'll sign up for an open mic. <laughs> I'll make some people laugh. But if you're trying to be great at this and when you really, when it really clicks, we're like, oh no, this is what I want to do. Then the level of commitment involved is a lot. Yeah. And for some people, they're like, no, thanks. Uh, but for those who say, yeah, I still want it. You've got to figure that out, whether you're an individual, whether you're in a relationship. And so that that support and that understanding and communication was a huge was huge for us. Uh-huh. How long into it did you get your first paying gig? Ooh, my first paying gig came about eight months in. And to this day, it is still the worst night of stand up of my life. <laughs> it, it is my when I say, hey, what's your bomb story? That's my bomb story. Is it? <laughs> Well, tell me more. How did that go? Sure. Uh, so two things. One, is this a family show? Are there children watching this show? You can. You, okay, we're free. Yeah, okay. the, the language is free. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so so long story short, like my, David, again, the guy I started with, um, we do a podcast together. My road dog, his uncle, David's the same age as me. Uh-huh. Uh, his uncle's, hey, I want you to come do stand up with your friend at my high school reunion. Now, Scott, I didn't know any better. I was a poor comic. I strike number one. Because yeah. his uncle's at least 70. Yeah. Okay. That's already problematic. Okay. There is zero relatability here. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, we get to the parking lot. Uh, just old Deuce and a Quarters, Cadillac DeVille's, Cutlass Supremes. There's a public transportation van with the wheelchair accessibility on the side. I'm like, this is not going to go well. But we're poor comics. We're like, all right, let's get paid. We go into the show. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of ambush comedy. But nobody's anticipating comedy. Nobody wants comedy. Okay. Nobody's ready for comedy. The lights are up. The muse blaring. You've got uncles and aunties, which I call them, which are older black men and women. They're ready to have a good time. Earth, uh-huh. Wind, and Fire is playing. They've got oxtails. I want to paint the picture for you, Scott. Yeah. They are ready to have a good <laughs> night. Yeah. You understand? They are not expecting 24-year-old unseasoned comedians to come talk for 12 minutes about nonsense. Yeah. That's not on their bingo card. <laughs> So the DJ gives me the mic, no host, no setup, no lights dropping. Uh-huh. They're like, hey, we got comedy happening. Sit down. So they're upset. <laughs> I go up. It's about 200 people in this room. And they just, I just respectfully, they just let me eat it for just 12 minutes. Mm. They just, they don't boo. 
They don't yell. They just sit in the anger. And I could feel and see the animosity. (laughs) I turned behind me. There's like four older uncles in the back. Every time I turn and look, they would just go, not today, young fella. (laughs) Now we just turn back around. I just turn back around uh, because I didn't want no smoke. And so so I get off stage. I give the mic to David. David's bombing. I go rush over to get some meatballs because I need to emotionally eat. Uh Uh, And so this is the craziest part is that, so I'm there minding my business and two older gentlemen walk up to me. One of the gentlemen, he says, hey, my friend, real high school feeling. My friend said, you should quit comedy. <laughs> now, I still got to be a respectful gentleman in this scenario here. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. I appreciate that. And then I go on and I, I tell myself, I was like, all right, just stay calm, stay patient. David's going to go off stage. We're going to get out of here. And so I go on and then two women come into the room. Okay. Two. And then the uh-huh. two men who talked to me. The two women. Now it's four of them. They're hanging out in the corner. Okay. And so the man leans up and he rolls over and he just leans into this girl who I, I would assume, Scott, if I'm honest, they haven't seen each other in 20, 30, 40 years. Who uh-huh. knows how long? And they go on to have this conversation. And the last thing I remember, true, 100% true story, the last thing I remember hearing is that this man leans over and he goes, Hey, Darlene, just real quick, let me know. Do you still squirt? And I was done. I was done. I left. I got David. I got my meatballs. We got in the car. I was like, I got to go. That was probably the first time, Scott, and probably the last time, thankfully, Uh where I was like, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me, actually. Yeah. Maybe maybe I should just get my master's in education to be a good guy. I don't know. (laughs) It's funny, though. Your suckage brought people together. (laughs) (laughs) they hadn't seen each other in so long you broke the ice because they united in not liking you yeah and that's a good thing you did a service (laughs) in hindsight i'm glad i could be a hero with no cape yeah and i can say that because i have united people and hating me too so it it, it goes both ways but in my case it's always young people These kids in their twenties with their arms crossed, saying, "Who is this guy, and why is, is he up here?" <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that I really got from your album is that you're very quick-witted, and I don't know how much structure you go into when you get on stage. I don't know, and that this is a good thing because I really study the stuff that I listen to and I watch, and I can't tell if you had like bullet points of stuff you wanted to go over and you were gonna riff the way you wanted to riff, or if you had everything like written down word by word and you just colored it with anything that the room brought to you. So. What is it? Which way is it? Do you like to have a real structured set or are you just ready to go out there with some ideas and you're going to put them, um, you're going to put them out there and see what comes back? Yeah, I'm definitely the latter. I'm definitely a ladder. Okay. I appreciate that. I try to make sure that being the ladder where I'm very structured and it's all written out, I want it to feel natural. I want it to feel uh-huh. organic. I want it to feel, I want it to feel present in the room, but like my process and I love talking process. I am a Google Doc guy. Okay. I've got all of my, my jokes and stories in the Google Doc. It's color coordinated for different reasons. And I'll write it all out, just like verbatim how I think I want to say it. Uh-huh. And then 
Okay. Stayed in my head a time or two, go on stage. And then as a comic, you just pound it, pound it. But I know where I'm going. I've got the roadmap, right? And so then if something happens in the room or if I can make a call back later, then that's where the real um, piece of the craft of this organicness kind of kicks into another gear. But I definitely am not. (laughs) Me and my, my best friend, David, we talk about being completely opposite. He'll go up there with like three bullet points for 15 minutes. Uh-huh. And I, I would never do that. <laughs> I go up with, I've got like, all right, I got six paragraphs in my head. I, it's going to sound fresh. It's going to sound like a conversation. Yeah. But I know exactly where I want to go. Yeah. You really, you were really good at it because I was totally baffled. I didn't know which way it was because I've heard some really good comics that can do that, but you really had me in a spot where did he just come out here with some ideas and decide he's going to do an album? Or, or, I wish I would. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was very natural and organic. Like you said, it felt really good. Now thinking about this album's right about, it's pretty close to an hour how much of your life has been spent putting that material together of your comedy life? I should say. Yeah. Yeah. That was really one of the big questions I wanted to figure out. I've been working on for close to 12 years and it was really this thing of me figuring out how much older stuff that I want to do and how much of the newer stuff mm-hmm. that I want to mix in. And I'll be honest with you. I went back and forth. And so just a little context here of how I came about it. So I was able to go full-time. So I've been teaching since the beginning. I was able to go full-time with comedy in 2018. Did that for two years. The pandemic started. Go back into the classroom. Mm. And, excuse me, I knew that um, this was going to be a one and If things were going the way that they're going now, I was going to be kind of just in and out one year teaching and back out. And so this was a really important decision. Family man, husband, father of three. I've got to make an important, wise decision here. And so I knew that, all right, financially, I need to think about 2022 online spins, online plays, right? Pandora, Sirius XM, things of this nature. Now, comparatively, which I don't know how much or how little it caught up, caught your guard or you paid attention to, but like comparatively, I'm a cleaner comic, yeah, uh, which is just authentically who I am as a person mm-hmm. in general, being authentically myself on stage and off stage. So knowing what I know about the business side, I was like, okay, let me take all the old work I'm proud of, hmm. lean towards that clean side. So a couple new things here that I love right now, mix it up together. It's about 80-20, older material, newer material, and put it out so that when I told my principal I'm not returning, <laughs> I'm optimistic <laughs> that the plays and the spins will have more opportunity, more stations uh-huh. to potentially earn some income for me to take care of my family doing what I love to do. So one, it was about 80-20, uh, but then on the other side, I'm going to be uh, planning out right now my first independent tour to uh-huh. kind of tour this new hour. So I'm really excited for them to hopefully have heard or will buy and listen to the album and then also enjoy a live show and really get two hours out of me. Yeah, I really respect the fact that you went, th- it had to have been so hard for you to be deciding to do the full-time thing and then the pandemic hits and you've got to reel it back in and go back into the classroom and it didn't stop you. I'm really glad it didn't because it stopped a lot of people. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It was was forever grateful for teaching coming, came out of nowhere, just like comedy. And it just has been such a thread of stability for myself and my family here. But I just knew, and even again, go back to that support. My wife Mm -hmm. was just like, like, it's probably going to just be a year for you. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. Whatever it takes. And I was like, yeah, it's just going to be a year for me. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really, really looking forward to getting back there full time in June. Right. 
now one of the things one of the things you mentioned is the the Sirius XM thing which is really the only I guess it's the only way that a comedian is going to get paid other than doing shows because if you consider streaming it just doesn't it just doesn't right. give you anything yeah, and yeah. I, I know the Sirius for some reason, they decided to put a business plan together that actually pays the people that they put on their channels and right. having an album like this. One of the things I'm noticing on the comedy channels on Sirius XM is they're doing longer form stuff where they sometimes will do a full album. Sometimes they'll do, you know, like three cuts in a row and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, are you hoping to get in on some of that? Absolutely. I yeah. definitely am. I, I'm all about, um, like with Sirius, you're right. I want to appreciate them trying to <laughs> put money in pockets of creatives and so on and so forth. Uh, some people should take note of that. Yeah. I know. Uh, Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and two, yeah, I, it would be, I have several, I know several comics who have been able to live off of, especially in the midst of everything that's been on off of their online income and that has just been really encouraging and motivating for myself um, with the album and just in general when you're trying to build a body of work when you're trying to the comedy club headlining a comedy club is really long con where it's mm -hmm. like everybody wants their name on the marquee and you want the thursday through saturday headlining thing but in route to that you've got to find ways to continue to make money make yeah. to make income on the way there mm -hmm. and so over the last I don't know, at least a decade, I guess. I feel like Sirius has been around for us. Online spins and online plays have continued to give specifically comics that opportunity to hit the road more where mm. you might play a really fun club in the Midwest that's not paying you a ton, but you also have two albums out that's taking care of everything in between. And so it kind of tries to find some middle ground. Are you planning on doing vinyl for your album? Someone asked me that a few weeks ago, and I have not thought about it because that's yeah. not really a world and just any real like connection I have. Yeah. But you're the second person now. I got to think about yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm starting to see comedians do it. I remember yeah, who true. I saw at Stand Up Live it was Chris Porter, and he held up this vinyl of his last album, and I think I probably saw like 15 of them walk out the door, and mm. I. I I should be the guy who loves vinyl and <laughs> all my vinyl is gone. Yeah. There, I don't understand why it's even making a comeback, but good for it. Good for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if that's what's going to happen, I'm so deaf that I can't hear the difference between vinyl and streaming or anything like that. I do use Tidal because it sounds better than Spotify and I don't want to get okay. Spotify anymore on my money. But yeah, it's I do get that. But the whole vinyl thing is totally just it just goes right over my head. I do remember having albums and looking at them and I thought it was really cool. It just doesn't, it's not something I need anymore. But on the other hand, I know a guy who presses vinyl and makes mm. really cool, like liquid filled and led yeah. and stuff like that. And that stuff just flies off the shelves. He sells out like 10 minutes after he puts something on sale Wow! and wow. yeah. And all over the world too. So it's definitely something that I don't understand, but a lot of other people do. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. Again, I know very, I would relate to cassettes and eight tracks more than vinyl personally here. Yeah. Just the way that I was brought up, but I'll probably, if I do think more about it, 
best case scenario, I'll probably reach out to like people and followers and be like, hey, who's interested? And if yeah. there's enough interest, I may think about it, but otherwise, probably not. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's just a, it's a weird thing. And I'm glad that there's another way that you can make money. And sure. um, the only thing is, I don't know what the, the outlay is to get everything started and get stuff pressed and all that. And yeah, no and, idea. Yeah. And what, how much you actually make per and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. So you talked about leaning into the uh, cleaner style of comedy from the get go. Yeah. Uh, and I've done the same thing, even though I swear a lot as a person, I don't ever talk about sexual stuff or anything like that but i just and my son caught it for me we both we both use language very very often and my when i type f into my phone it automatically <laughs> goes to that word instead yeah. of other words that start with f but doing the clean stuff because that comes natural to you do you feel like that gave you a little bit of an advantage over other people your age when you started out that were like i said doing the dick jokes so a couple of things. One, again, it wasn't even a, like a decision for me in a sense of like do or don't do. I was just like, be you. And so that, that was an important piece for me to really, because I was trying to figure out who I was. I was trying that, that voice as a stand-up, woo, yeah. that is a booger where you feel like you're not being a sponge or just a replica of your favorite three comedians combined. And so there was that element. Um, but I do think, and I also say this point here, just so nobody tries to slide into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think cleaner comics or necessarily better comics or funnier comics. I think it's, I think it's different. I think it's a different skill that every comedian, in my opinion, especially starting up, mm. especially if you're trying to make money, find opportunities. I personally feel like every comic should have a good bit of time that can be clean so that they can work on opp more opportunities. So I was able to do more opportunities in my first several years coming up because I had I, I could be clean, right? So the corporate gigs, I could get that. The college gigs, I could get that if they wanted clean. I could get several other opportunities because I was able to, which is one big reason why I was able to go full-time, was because I was able to do that time. So I was able to make more money. I was able to do more sets and, and continue to work my craft more. When you look at it that way, it's like, man, there were a lot of positive and advantages, if you will, to doing that. It's something that definitely isn't mandatory if you're thinking about considering starting stand-up. But there are different ramifications that come with being able to be a great MC at a festival and make 500 bucks or yeah. go work a corporate gig and get paid a crazy amount of money for 15 minutes at yeah. some banquet or whatever. Do you feel like it was helpful to you to have a friend that was going through the whole comedy thing at the same time you were? Scott, it was huge. The community of stand-up, man, I'm so, so grateful for it. It's really... It's tough. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody yeah. knows how you're out three to five nights a week, making no money, driving an hour and a half to do six minutes. Nobody understands yeah. that. What does that, that doesn't sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> so when you've got a road dog or two or three or whatever, who you can go to the same shows with, you can build off each other. You can give each other feedback and tags and ideas for premises. And you can take road trips with that camaraderie, man. I just really, I really do. I really love the stand-up community because I'll go to another city and I'll hop on the Facebook group. Hey, man, I'm coming in town. This and this. These are the dates. Love to hop on your show. And then, boom, yeah, man, hop on the show because they know what it's like to go into a new scene, a new city, and do the same thing. Especially if I'm out randomly party mixer wedding reception whatever and that somebody's like 
they say they're a comic or I get a sense they're a comic. It's just like this magnetic feel. Yeah. <laughs> you do stand up too? Yeah, I bomb too. Yeah. So, <laughs> there's this connection for sure. Now, I feel from the album that there's a bringing of people together. And I want to ask, have you ever brought a racist white person around to the point where they at least toned down their racism and they told you about it? That's a great question. I can't specifically say yes to that. I can say that I have a bit. I had an old ending for that skydiving bit on uh-huh. the album uh-huh. uh, where it talks about the police, actually. Yeah. And I, I was doing a cruise ship, and either he was a cop or he was a retired cop, but he came around at the end. He's like, oh, man, I thought you were great. Didn't love the way that skydiving bit, skydiving <laughs> bit ended. Uh-huh. And we have a conversation respectfully, and I kind of shared why I put, I said what I said. And he shook my hand at the end. He was like, well, I forget how I'm paraphrasing. He was like, I want to said it, but I love it. And uh-huh. so, so there was that moment there. But I think comedy, laughter, in my opinion, uh, is very similar in the sense with music where you could go anywhere in the world and see somebody bob their head or tap their toe mm-hmm. and know that they're vibing to a good beat. Same thing, I could go anywhere in the world and see somebody laughing. I don't have to know what happened. Yeah. I don't know the language. But I can like, oh, they're laughing. They're, they are enjoying something right yeah. now. There's that connection for any human. Yeah, that's great. I, comp- I compare you a little bit, and you may have worked with him before, to Dwight Simmons uh, from Indianapolis. And, uh-huh. and he he's really good at bringing the whole crowd with him. And uh-huh. he would do, I come from Indiana, and he would uh, do Elkhart, Indiana all the time. And the entire audience would be white. And he could really bring them along and still talk about sometimes racial stuff. And sure. and yet I feel like maybe he made an impact. And I felt like from your album that maybe you did the same thing. I appreciate that. I just did his podcast last week. He's oh, did a great you? Guy. Okay. Love Dwight. <laughs> there is an element of that thread. Uh-huh. So, and stop me if you don't want to go there. We'll get there later, whatever. Uh-huh. But one of the biggest elements uh, or factors in my comedy career was when we lived in China uh-huh. and <clears throat> all that to say when I was there when I got over there I was about two and a half years into comedy so still not a good comedy and I quickly found out the American the English cultural pop references they weren't flying not just because it was only like Chinese natives over there but literally it was at that time anyway the most diverse largest city proper in the world mm-hmm. so you had 12 Australians, six people from Finland, 15 Chinese natives, four American expats. And you just had this room of 80 people from all over. So though that year and a half, man, it was really great uh, to really help me hone in my craft of writing and finding this thread of universality. And so when I think about trying to bring a crowd along, that was a big impact on me of like, oh, like we all come from different first languages, different cultures, so on and so forth. But what's the thread that's keeping us all in this room together yeah. as human? And there's still so many things. There's a lot of differences, but there's a ton of similarities. Yeah. Uh, and so for myself, that's always something I've tried to push myself with in the craft of trying to say, all right, I know we all just randomly came into this dark room together, but let's go on this journey together <laughs> uh-huh. as a team. Uh-huh. And your comedy brings the family into it and personal experiences that are more universal, which it brings everybody together. There there aren't a whole lot of pop culture references and things like that. So I can see that just being able to work wherever you're at. 
So yeah. tell me about cruise ship comedy. I want to yeah. I want to hear your perspective on cruise ship comedy because I've probably you're probably my hundred and fifth interview and uh, probably 10, 15% of those folks that I've talked to have worked cruise ships either a lot or off and on. Sure. Uh, so cruise cruises, running my own shows and colleges was the base of me being able to go full time. Uh-huh. I worked two years or before the pandemic, I was doing it full time for two years. Uh, and I did, I worked primarily with Carnival Cruise Line um, and I'm gonna be honest with you, Scott, Loved it. Had an absolute blast. If somebody's even considering it and they get roughly the same experience that I got, I think they would really enjoy it. Uh, so on one end, as just propound as the as a comedian, it was great because I had to work material. So mm-hmm. on a typical tr- on a trip, you're doing uh, two, three, five shows. You got to have at least ninety minutes of material. You're not getting 90 minutes of material in a weekend or a month. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? In a city, you're not getting long sets like that. Yeah. So you have to do a half hour clean uh-huh. and then two different half hours for adults. So the churning out and working and revising and editing the material, I was really putting in that effort to build the album, to build a new hour mm-hmm. and to build uh, probably another 20 ish minutes that I've got that needs more time and effort as well. So just as a comedian, it was great. Um, and then also was, and let me be very clear, this was like short trips. This was like uh-huh. four days to seven days. This yeah. wasn't months on end type of thing. So that's important to know. And then I could get off the ship with the guest. I could have my room to myself. There were perks and amenities that I had because I wasn't quote unquote crew. That's kind of in this middle. I wasn't also quote unquote a guest. Yeah. So you do your act, you eat, you hit the beach, you walk <laughs> around, get some magnets and you get, get home. So it was really a great experience for me. For me, it was uh-huh. also great because again, they would fly me into different ports, right? So the people who's porting in Baltimore are going to be different than the people potentially porting in Fort Lauderdale, uh-huh. in the New Orleans port. Then they would fly me into Puerto Rico. So again, this universality, I'm working my craft of trying to find every find the threads that are bringing everybody together. One of my one of my favorite comics, and I'll stop rambling. My favorite comedian is Chris Rock. That's my go. Who's your favorite, Scott? Really, it all goes back to Dave Letterman for me. Sure. Uh, so he said something when he was coming up, Chris Rock. He said, I wanted my act to be so tight, so great, uh-huh. that I could kill and destroy at the Apollo, but then I could take that same act and kill at Carnegie Hall. Uh-huh. And so I, I took that to heart. I think about that all the time. He's like, oh, I just want to be the best comedian for everybody. And so that, that's what's motivated me, man, since the beginning. I can, this is the first time that it's really put a light bulb up for me as far as the cruise ships go and having to have that material ready because as a comic the only thing that you can do is push yourself to write more and perform more and get better and if you don't have anything that's pushing you to do that then Mm -hmm. you can get lazy Uh, because i've caught myself get lazy but when you're doing cruise ship stuff you can't be lazy it's there and, and you gotta you have to be able to put that material out there yeah, the first uh, six to eight months, I quickly realized they were like, hey, you can repeat. So let's say they were like, uh, do two family shows and then three adult shows. It would allow you to repeat a family show and it would allow you to repeat one of the adult shows. But I quickly found out that if the crowds knew you were repeating, the room was not going to be full. They're like, oh, I've already seen this. And so there there was this push and motivation Right. To, to be like, no, I, I've got a, I've got a new, I got a new set. Come see me uh-huh. type of thing where you're in this 
auditorium that holds 400 and you got like 95 people scattered, that'll humble you really quick. Yeah. And one of the things the marketers talk about, Tim Ferriss, I think, is one about getting a thousand true fans. If you can do that, then you can build on that. And I would have to think that doing that cruise ship comedy, there's people who are going to remember you and they're going to follow you. They're, they're going to they're gonna jump on your Instagram page or your Facebook page or whatever and make sure that they know who you are and they follow you. Did you get some of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was huge, too. Just in general, you know, the following, the support, the mm. I didn't have any merch. I saw a lot of great comics sell merch on there as well. So you mm. make some extra income on top of that. Yeah, I still have people hit me up, whether they're going on a ship or whether I'm posting something like, oh, I saw you on this trip and we had a great time. Please let me know when you're in town, yada, yada. Uh-huh. Um, so even that building that base of a thousand true fans, which is one of my favorite uh, just kind of sets and perspectives to have that I think about often. That's what I'm going for. I'm right about at seven right now. So okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. 993 steps, more and I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the nuts and bolts of the album. You, yeah. this is coming out. Is it the 25th? It's coming out yes, March, 25th. March 25th. I know who I am. Yeah. And how much work went into that? And when did it start? And when did you get the finished product? Sure. Sure. Uh, at the beginning of, 2021 2020 it was just real chill i was like all right let's just be safe and be alive uh-huh. uh, and 2021 mindset wise i was like all right when things seem like there's some light i think this is the year i want to put out an album it was really really sober some year and just reminding me that man nothing is promised let's go hard for what we want and what's interesting about like my career leading up to the album is that I'm, I've pretty much created everything on my own independently. Like, nobody's been knocking at my door. Uh-huh. Um, the cruise agent, the college agent, the shows I've produced, uh, all this opportunity has come because, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm going to toot my own horn. I'm a cold email connoisseur. I take pride <laughs> in reaching out. Literally, uh-huh. that's, I mean, click with Scott, we don't yeah. know each other, and here we are. Yeah. And, and that was who I was and still who I am. One thing that about me was that, I don't know why, and I can't really articulate it, but I was like, I want, I think I want my album to be like with a label. Like I just, mm-hmm. for myself personally, I didn't want to go the independent route. So I reached out to everyone and I really enjoyed it. the team at Helium. So to be coming out with Helium Records. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this probably was around like May, okay. um, give or take. And so we were trying to find dates, make sense. We ended up in October, um, which was right around the kind of comedy anniversary. I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that feels good. Let's do it. And then the rest was off to kind of working longer sets putting it together, like I said, taking that 80% from old, just finding the 20% from new, really working it together, doing shows in town, out of town, talking with my, some of my best friends in comedy and in general, and trying to figure it out. And so that whole puzzle of putting it together took from the beginning of June through until we recorded it. One of the things I've noticed, because I've talked to, it's almost 50-50, folks who self-produce and folks mm-hmm. that go with a label. The one thing that is a constant, if you go with a label, you get the finished product sooner. Yeah, but, well, I, that was one of the biggest things. They were just like, oh, yeah, we'll do this and this and it'll be here for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, if you have to do this and this, you have to teach yourself to do it. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And as far as your what you're going to do after the album comes out, usually when you do it, that puts a stamp on that particular material. And you can go out, like you said, you can go out and tour on that and put some new material together. Do you feel like there is a time where you have to put material to bed and this is 
this material is done for me now? I don't believe that to be the case. I do think, though, and you probably can relate to, this material you just get tired of doing. Yeah. So I definitely think it's on this individual level more so than on this this standard level. I did a show last night um, or the other day recently, this past weekend, and had never been there. And I read the room. I kind of saw what was working for other comics before me, kind of looking at demographic. And I was like, all right, I don't necessarily, I didn't plan to work these bits in, but I think for me to have a good time and for them to have a good time, <laughs> I'm going to bring this old bit out. Uh-huh. They didn't know it. It was a new bit to them. Yeah. <laughs> and so our job is to make people laugh, bring joy, forget about your worries for a moment, have a good time. Uh-huh. Right? And if I got to pull out a bit from 2014 that you've never heard, I'm going to pull it out. Yeah. I'm not going to lose any sleep with that. Do you have any stories of bits that you had that you just, you thought was going to be just fantastic and it fell flat every time, yeah. but then years later you found a way to make it good. That is the absolute story of my, the, I actually put it at the, I put it as my closer on this, on the album. But when I worked for the last several years, the being sexy melted chocolate chunk, uh-huh. the whole mac and cheese piece at the end was a little like that. I wrote that the first three years in comedy, maybe the first two years in comedy. Uh-huh. And I just wasn't as good of a writer, good of as a performer. Mm-hmm. And I put it on the shelf. I was like, ah, I don't know. I hit China, I hit Texas. I come back about five years later, 2016, give or take 2015. I pull it back out. Thankfully, better comic, better performer, better comedian. And then for 2015 to the album, it was my opener in the city, out of the city, on the road, tours, headlining. And it was just really low. Like nothing's ever like dead. Like you'll put it on the shelf. Uh-huh. It, it'll be out. It may be retired, but you'll pull it out of retirement. Shout out to Tom Brady. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you'll <laughs> let something come back if it's good enough. Yeah. But yeah, that, that whole five minute chunk was, was has been my bread and butter, man. Uh-huh. Now, do you have any jokes that you that were maybe like a one or two liner that 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 hit well but then you found out you could expand it that you could actually build on it and build like a five minute bit out of it the skydiving bit skydiving? Uh, yeah. which i really i'm, I'm excited to do more of those because i was excited just to be like oh man this is like a four or five minute story uh-huh. uh, and i think it started off with like just a, a throwaway line about disposable income going skydiving uh-huh and then I was like, no, I, I actually went skydiving. What's the story? And then that next year, I was really working it out because it ends up being a four-ish, five-minute bit. But if you're trying to tell a story, it doesn't start that way. It starts like messy eight. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fat, right, <laughs> around it. There's a lot of details that you need to cut and this, that, and the other. So it just, if you're doing eight minutes, if you're doing a 10 minute set and you got this messy eight minute story, uh-huh. I was like, do I do it? Do I not do it? And not only was I proud of getting it there, but it definitely started just because of throwaway line. I was like, no, just tell the story of going to the middle of nowhere and jumping out of a plane. Uh-huh. And one, one of the things that really impressed me with your album is you never had, because you do have some longer bits in there and you never had a moment because you had enough tags and you kept people leaning in. I never felt a lull. Mm. I never felt the fact that, Oh, let's wait for him to get around to a punchline or something like that. You, you were bringing people along and they stayed engaged during the whole album. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that. I, I just, I don't really personally think much about laughs per minute or anything yeah. like that. But I do, that word right there, I want my crowds to be always engaged while I'm on stage. So even if I'm giving you 
nine seconds of setup and information to kind of give you a runway. I try to be very intentional with my words, the physicality, mm. inflection, all those things we have on our tool belt as comics to really play around with it. Causes, mm. things of this nature here. Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate that. It's definitely something that I'm very, uh, I try to be very deliberate about. Have you ever fallen into the trap? And I, because I have to use social media for the podcast, I watch what happens on social media. And there are a lot of, there's just a lot of haters out there. On, on, Talk on, about it. On particular people. Did you ever get to a point where you felt jealousy because you felt like somebody was getting ahead of you that wasn't mm. as funny or anything like that? And how did you deal with that? That's a good one right there. That's going to be a whole hour by itself, Scott. <laughs> I think you're a mature enough person that you can actually talk about it. <laughs> so I'll, I definitely think what there were two things really that kept me grounded with this because we talk about it all, a lot of the time uh, is that community. Those my two, my two of my closest friends, we constantly pushed each other and reminded each other. So having that community, that was a huge piece. But I think even bigger than that for myself, and it really ties in if I'm honest, to my upbringing was my grandma. She told me that she said, baby, if you're ever going to look left and right, looking at your peers or even strangers, let it never lead to jealousy, envy, and bitterness, but rather to motivation, encouragement, and inspiration. And that's, that's been with me for 30 years. And so that when you get online, when you go to a show, when you hear every year, top six lists to watch, top comics to blah, this person got into the biggest festival. You're like, uh -huh. oh man, I didn't know they were even doing auditions. <laughs> uh, and so when you hear that, if I'm going to look, if I'm going to listen to it, if I'm going to watch it, let it lead me to be motivated or encouraged. And then lastly, I just, if I'm honest, like, I just know, I don't want to say it. I just know everybody's journey is going to be different. Literally, there's only going to be one Kevin Hart doing stadiums this big, this many movies. That's there are so many killers and monsters on stage who will never be household names. And so there has to be this level of contentment and pride knowing that, no, when I get on this stage, I'm a dope comedian, right? I may never get the sitcom. Cool. I may never get JFL. I may never get a late night set. Side note, that's not necessarily necessary anyway anymore in 2022 right. to get a career going. But there's just got to be this level of pride and content. Like, oh, no, I'm a good comedian. Right? And anytime I get on stage, they're going to know about it. And I think you talked about it just a few minutes ago when you nobody is going to do this for you you have to reach out and do your own thing and that's why you emailed me and one of the things i know about doing this as long as i have talking to a hundred and some comedians and i watch them the ones who are consistently positive and don't ever engage in bad talk about other comedians or stuff like that when they don't engage in that type of stuff they always seem to rise above and do better in the long run even if they're not at the top now listen i'll take it all scott i'll yeah. take it all i just think man there's so much it's so easy to look at the negative and it's so easy to and I'm not going to say that everything's all roses and rainbows, but like literally I do try to walk around with an appreciation, especially in being reminded of everything the last two years uh, of what I am. Like I, I'm doing what I love. I've got a dope family, amazing wife, and I really am grateful for where I am. What I love more money and marquees. Sure. I'm not going to say I won't, yeah. but 
I'm doing something not only that a lot of people wish they were doing and had the courage to do, um, but I'm also in an opportunity where I can do something I'm passionate about. And I just, I can't get so caught up in what I don't have without being grateful for what I do have and what I'm doing. You're, I can tell you're a peaceful person that comes through both in the album and here. And it's definitely something that is appreciated in especially in the comedy world you have to be that you must be one of those guys that other comedians come to when they're just at the end of their rope and you bring them down <laughs> <laughs> i have had a few good conversations at 1 a.m in an alley yeah turn on the, the counselor hat and the encouraging friend had a time or two yeah, yeah i can tell you're a good friend one of the things i like to ask everybody is there something that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started and you feel like it could have helped you get better quicker mm, that's a really good question something i know now that had i known it then it would have helped me get better quicker uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, which definitely seems silly to say it now, but was just continue to work as many different types of rooms as possible. If you're if your stick is to work rooms and clubs and spaces that uh, only you like and you're comfortable in that may look like you sound like you, cool, your prerogative. But for myself, going again from the universality and everything I've talked about, I want to make everybody laugh. I wish I put. I wish I would have put some more effort and attention into seeking that out earlier now it's not only what i do but it's also like the one of the number one things i tell comics coming up and so on and so forth so make sure you're going into spaces that you love and you but also america looks a variety of ways yeah midwest you go hit san fran san fran feels different than sacramento here comes yeah. portland now you're in arizona then you go to the boston then you're down here in montgomery like uh-huh. so being able to work in front of different crowds and really test your material. Like, all right, man, I've got too many bits about the subway yeah, uh, or whatever. <laughs> I think it, it really helps the comic. Yeah. The reunion wasn't so bad then, right? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the album is I Know Who I Am, and I know why you titled it that, because you know who you are. And I really appreciate that about you. And that comes out to 25th. How can people find you as far as socials and stuff like that? Yeah, I'm having the most fun over on Instagram. You can find me, dates, tours, links, yeah. all that jazz. Instagram, that's Damon Jr. 2, D-A-M-O-N-J-R, the number two, Damon Jr. 2. I know who I am, March 25th. Scott, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm really happy to get to know you. And it's funny, Instagram is my, my main thing, too. I yeah. thought I thought being my age, Facebook would be the thing. Right. and But no, Instagram is really where it's at. And you, it, there's no room for stupid conversations and stuff to bring you down on Instagram. It's just uh, you put the stuff out there and people appreciate it. And yeah. I think you look at Instagram with a different lens, too, because I, I get tense when I read Facebook and when I'm with <laughs> Instagram, just watching cat reels and stuff like that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's more relaxing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Instagram is where it, I'm dipping. I'm dipping my toe in TikTok. So talk to me in six months. OK. But right now, most of my funds on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's been super great to get to know you. And folks, make sure you get I know who I am. And I think you can go. Can you go to your website and pre-order? You go to my website, which is DamonSumner.com. Okay. Or you follow me on Instagram. It's the link in the bio as well. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, it's been real, real great getting to know you, and I absolutely love the album. I laughed a lot when I was pounding the backsplash. The backsplash. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks a lot.